The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is episode 43, which is a very special episode for the week of uh, November 27th, right? This is our Thanksgiving episode, and this week, Alex and I decided we want to take a week off from the normal news and really just talk to you a little bit about the things that we're thankful for in the security community. You know, we've been uh, slaving hard <laughs> for, you know, the better part of a year doing this, and we thought, you know, we deserve a week off. Yeah. So this week, rather than going through the news and the jobs and the events, we're just going to talk to you about the things that we're most thankful for here in the last uh, in, the, in the security community and basically since we started doing this podcast. And, you know, we could probably talk for several hours on all the things <laughs> that we're thankful for. But, you know, we thought we would just go for, through a few of them and, and leave you guys with um, a little bit extra after that. And there's some leftover pie upstairs that we're ready to go eat, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Pie. So the first thing I'll say I'm thankful for is something I wasn't, I didn't know about before we got into this, which is that we have a governor here in Colorado who really takes security seriously and has made it a top priority for him and his administration. I think that is awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of Gov- Governor Hickenlooper. I mm-hmm. think he's done great things specifically around cybersecurity. And there's, of course, been talk that he has potentially other political aspirations after he is done here as governor. So uh, potentially, maybe we have someone that moves on to some other political positions that also cares about cybersecurity. I think that would be really cool. A couple of the things he's done, obviously, you know, the creation of the National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs was a a big initiative for him. Um, We've had him... uh, put together several different like workshops and panels to talk about security in the area with local companies. He was one of the keynote speakers at RMISC this year. Um, and w- once again, he's just made it clear that this is something that really matters to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you talked to, uh, to Debbie Blythe, who's the state CISO, uh, she would agree. And I know that he's been very supportive of their efforts as well. So uh, next, we're definitely thankful for all of the volunteers uh, that run the, the different organizations that we have around town. We have a, a big ecosystem of volunteer organizations, ISSA, ISACA, OWASP, Cloud Security Alliance, so women, on, in, women in Security. Women in security. Yep. Um, I, I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but yep. that there are plenty that are out there. Um, and these are all organizations that are run by volunteers. Yeah. Uh, none, none of those folks get any financial you know, incentive for doing what they do. It's just the love of building a security community here in town. Yep. And uh, so, you know, there are obviously people that are in leadership of those, those organizations, but also many, many, many other volunteers that yeah. help with events, that help uh, with planning, with, you know, doing communications, lots and lots of tasks you might not even think of uh, that, you know, we need volunteers to continue to make sure that those things run. And we are definitely thankful for all of them. This is how Alex and I both got involved in security in the community and highly recommend anyone listening right now who feels maybe you're not plugged into the community yet. The best way to get plugged in is to go to go sign up, to go help, go find one of these groups that really aligns with your mission. You know, if you're focused on cloud, go get plugged in with uh, Al Barton at the CSA. Or if you want to, if you're a web application security guy, go talk with Steve Costin at uh, OWASP. Uh, if you're just a security guy who wants to be plugged in with other security folks, ISSA is a fantastic connection. James Johnson leads that group. Um, if you're on the audit side, risk side, ISACA, and, and the current president is, is Rick, right? Rick Lucy. Rick, Rick Lucy is the president over there. Uh, and if, of course, if your mission is to help get women uh, more involved in security, please get plugged in with the ISSA Women in Security with Steve, uh, Sarah Avery's running that. Yeah, exactly. And I think what... Rob just said highlights the fact that we are also very lucky 
Um, and we should be thankful for the fact that we have this many organiz- the, the quantity of organizations here in Colorado. Not yeah. every city has this many groups available. Yeah. And there's more than I just mentioned, and I apologize, I can't get to all the groups, but if you go to our website, colorado-security.com, and go under uh, security organizations, there's a list of all the ones in town and some good contact info to, to let you know what do each of them do, which is the right one for you to get involved with, and, and I, I do believe it's a great way for you to excel, you, you know, move your own career forward. Um, next, uh, I just want to, I'm thankful for some of the bosses I've had in my career. You know, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've never had one of those bosses like... You know, you see on TV that's you know, office space boss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a, a really good set of bosses over my career that have helped me go from, um, you know, from early in my career. I was I was actually tech support, answering phone calls at a at a call center for electronic arts, um, up to you know IT help desk and network administration and getting into security. Finally, I, I just want to say thanks to some of those bosses and you know some who might be listening. Jeremy Cooper Levitt, my boss from Variel back 15 years ago, he's now a one of the leaders at Charles Schwab Security. Uh, appreciate you, Jeremy, and Mark Sanner, uh, boss of mine at, at Triple Creek. Uh, Mark, I'm probably not listening, but I appreciate Mark. And Doug Peterson, who's now the chief security officer for Great West Financial, was my boss at Aurora Bank. Uh, thanks a lot, Doug, for your support there. Uh, and then Don and Gary, both at Pulte, who I, who I worked for there. Um, just great people who, who helped me develop my career and, and move in the right direction. Yeah, so uh, we obviously, we have shared a boss, Rob. So I, I would echo the uh, the message about Gary, who is my current boss. I don't want to kiss up too much because that, <laughs> I don't know how couth that would be to to kiss up to your current boss. Um, but I'd also like to give out a shout out to uh, to Tom Wagger, who was a, an early boss of mine, who I, I really, uh, really got a lot out of and helped uh, shape my career. Uh, also, um, my very first boss, uh, not in information security, uh, his name was Tom Reed, still keep in contact with him. Mm-hmm. Um he was the, the manager of the, the bowling lanes where I worked in high school. Oh, neat. Great guy. Um, he was actually just out here this summer to visit. So um, got to love great bosses. So, and I would encourage those listening to, to reach out to your either current boss or your a previous boss who's done a good job helping you with your career and let them know. It, it means a lot to, to hear that kind of stuff. So recommend you guys do that. You know, I'm also very thankful for a supportive family. Um, you know, Rob, you and I do a lot of things that are not part of our, uh, you know, sort of nine to five kind of job, uh, including yeah. the podcast. And this takes, you know, a good amount of time yeah. out of our, out of our week, um, away from our family doing other things. You know, we we're down here in the studio on a, on a Sunday recording this when we could be, uh, hanging out with our families. So I, I really appreciate that, uh, my wife, Tama and, and my kids and all the rest of my family really, uh, appreciates and supports the fact that we do this. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Kristen, has been amazing as supportive as I've done, obviously the podcast, but ISSA over the years and, and then of the dinners that we do. It, it, it is a, a significant chunk of time, and uh, she's been a, a great foundation for the family at home. Uh, it, it's neat that my kids are starting to be interested in this whole podcast thing, and you saw – just today, one of my sons was watching through the door as we were recording, and they always ask me about the podcast and and can they can they listen to it? And then they listen and they, they actually act a little bit interested, which is amazing because they, they probably don't get very much of it. Well, that's slightly different than mine, Rob. I, you know, I have a, <laughs> a a new teenager who you know is disillusioned and hates everything. So uh, you know, yeah. he, he could care less if I was doing the podcast. But yeah. so uh, next thing that I want to be thankful for is just this community. You know, we're, we've been. I would say that as of you know five years ago that I wouldn't have called it a community and it's really become a community over the last few years and people who have really embraced the idea of uh, moving outside the walls of their company 
to, to share best practices, to, to build relationships, to be that resource to others when they have questions about security. And they've really embraced, uh, not only become a community, but they've embraced the whole Colorado equal security movement and uh, helping to to really elevate the Colorado as the place for security. It's been wonderful reception, and that's that's why we're still doing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. As people come to town, and um, you know, I talk to folks that that have moved here and are are becoming part of the community. Um, I really hear over and over again the fact that this it is different here than it is a lot of places. Uh, people are willing to help. People are willing to accept you into the community. Uh, yeah. People people are willing to go out of their way um, to make sure that you feel welcome. And yeah. I think that that's really important. And if you if you don't know how to get involved in the community, strongly recommend, number one, sign up for our Slack channel. We've, we talked about that last week. Um, go to the website and get the link for the Slack channel. It should be in the show notes as well. Um, but go, go talk to folks out there. Go to meetings. Ask questions. It is, it is not meant to be clickish here. If you're experiencing it that way, you know, try a different group. There, there are so many different ways you can get plugged in. Uh, I, I do believe you'll, you'll have a, a pretty easy time finding folks to connect with. And I think you would be surprised the number of people that will be happy to have um, a lunch or coffee mm-hmm. or whatever else and just to talk. So if, if there's someone that you want to meet um, or you, know, you need to, to get some information, hey, you know, send somebody an email, connect with them on LinkedIn, Ask them out for a coffee. Yeah, just don't send a blank connection. Put a note right. in your in your invite on LinkedIn. Say why you want to connect, and that works a lot better. Exactly. Uh, and I think lastly for me, I'm thankful for the fact that uh, that I chose to be in information security. So I, you know, early on in my career, I, I sort of fell into this. I think like a lot of people, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, I was able to find uh, information security. And, you know, it, it's really done a lot for me. I, okay. I enjoy the, the work. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy, obviously, the community. Um, and, you know, it's been a, a, something that I'm really thankful for. Yeah, I, I actually, I remember I was making a decision. Do I want to go down the path of, of security or project management? Those were the two paths, you know, relatively early oh, in my man. career. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, I'm very thankful that I went down the security path. It's been, it's been a wonderful opportunity to contribute. I believe make the world a little bit better place while at the same time, you know, have make a nice career uh, out of it as well. So it's been, it's been a really good thing. I'm also thankful for Rob. (laughs) Uh, Working with Rob on this stuff has been great. And, uh, you know, he's probably not thankful for me, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it's been fun doing this stuff together and, and we're looking forward to, to keeping it going. Yeah, it, it, Alex and I, so Alex was the president of ISSA when I started volunteering and I, I sent a note saying, Hey, I'd like to help. Do you guys need any help? And the response I got back was, here's the three board positions that are open. Which of them would be the best fit for you? I'm like, uh, board position. I was just going to go like yeah. set out some brochures somewhere or something like that. But it's been great. Alex and I have been doing this for, uh, I don't know, six years, five years, whatever, uh, like total, total, all the stuff we've been doing. Uh, and it's been a partner, right? We've been partners. We, we do our side business. We did our side business. I don't think we really do that anymore, but uh, really been a fun process as we've kind of figured out what does the Colorado security community need and helping to do that. So thanks a lot for all you've been doing there too. Awesome. Um, with that, we are, I think that's it for this week. Uh, no news. Um, but we do, we are going to throw it over to one of the interviews from our archive. And since Thanksgiving is a holiday tradition, uh, family holiday family, tradition, about we, family. we're, we're going to have the first couple of, uh, of security here on here, Gail and Steve Corey. Um, one of the interviews we did early in the show, one of my favorites from the archive. Uh, you guys hopefully listen to this and, and uh, get to know those two a little bit better. Curl up in front of the fireplace, put it on for the family to listen to. It's uh, It should become a, a family tradition for you. 
and we'll catch you guys uh catch you guys the first week of december have a good one thanks rob hi this is vincent grimard cso at nelnet welcome to colorado equals security for colorado security professionals by security professionals Hello, this is Rob Reck with Colorado Equal Security. I am very fortunate today to have Gail and Steve Corey here at my house uh, to do an interview and get to know them a little bit. So as a starting point, I just ask you guys to introduce yourself and and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. Gail, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Rob. Uh, Happy to be here. Um, So I work for Oracle. Um, I run security, compliance, uh, risk, business-side risk for one of our cloud businesses globally. So it's a global role. Um, I have uh, people in my team that, you know, are associated all around the world. And our job is to make sure that we're managing the security of our customers' data that they've entrusted to us in our cloud. And, you know, the exciting thing I think about the job I have and what I really like about it is um, I get to touch lots of different industries. Uh, I'm, you know, I have customers in everything from manufacturing, healthcare, uh uh, big web commerce, e-commerce uh, customers, um, uh, also government. We service government, and different industries all around the world, and so I have an opportunity to really learn about, you know, what is critical information, what is sensitive information in these different industries, and and be able to, you know take our security controls and make sure our security controls address that. And so it's, it's always challenging. I think I've probably seen uh, most every regulatory requirement uh, that there is. Um, I remember one time I was asked, you know, if we comply with the Dutch bookkeeping uh, laws. And I was like, well, let me think about that one. But um, yeah, so that comes up all the time and how we comply with certain regulatory requirements. And, you know, the big one we've got coming up is GDPR for all our European customers. So everybody's, you know, concerned about that new uh, data privacy regulation and how we're going to be able to make sure that we can meet the requirements there by May of 2018. So we'll be working on that a lot this year. So that's a little bit about me. So Danish bookkeeping regulations. (laughs) That's not not one that I thought much about. What was the uh, acronym? The GDPR. GDPR, what is that? Yeah, General Data Protection Regulation. It's the new regulatory requirement the EU passed last year. Uh, and we have two years to get in line with it. And it really is um, replacing a lot of the data privacy law in Europe. And when we had the invalidation of safe harbor for onward transfer of data from the European Union to the United States, um, that kind of shook up the whole data privacy um, space in, in Europe and how was how could companies who have data in the United States be protected from that. And it kind of was driven a lot by, you know, all of the, I would say, spying on uh, uh, personal kinds mm. of communications, et cetera, that sort of blew up about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, so anyway, that's our new regulatory requirements. So anyone who has data outside of the EU or even within the EU has to be able to comply. So any any company who, who has data, either of companies that are located in the EU or companies that have 
you know, offices in the EU are going to be, yeah. be asked to be compliant with this. Yep. Yeah. So, so Steve, would you introduce yourself as well? Sure. Hi, I'm Steve. Uh, Steve Corey. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for the City and County of Denver. Uh, we are not GDPR uh, compliant, <laughs> uh, and I don't have any uh, short-term plans uh, to do that, but I'm sure it could easily meet all those needs. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's uh, interesting about uh, my job is that uh, the city is uh, a collection of agencies, um, and each agency has a, a mission uh, to serve the citizens of Denver, or the residents of Denver. Uh, the each agency has its own IT requirements, and um, they all, because they are chartered to be what they are, they are the most important thing. So I uh, provide security for over 50 different uh, agencies, and uh, in, and they're all the, the number one in, in terms of importance. And so, did you say um, 50, five well, zero? Probably, agencies? yeah, probably over 50. Oh, that's a lot of agencies. Yeah, and uh, those range from, you know, some of the the, the bigger ones are. Uh, public safety, uh, police, and fire. Uh, we run nine one one for Denver. Uh, there's uh, you know agencies that are that plant the flowers in the park, uh, that organize the repair of streets, um, the traffic lights. Uh, you know all these things. It's a, a lot of most of the things you take for granted in a city are are you know provided by the city. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, trash pickup, uh, wastewater, uh, sewer management, and all this uh, really all kind of tie into being portions of, of critical infrastructure. And uh, so it's never a dull moment because there's always something going on somewhere. When uh, I've worked in uh, uh, for the city, I'm going on nine years now, and that's uh, my first foray into the public sector. Um, most of my career ahead of this is in uh, financial uh, institutions, mostly banks and uh, insurance and telecommunications. But um, so I've worked for a, a lot of time in uh, private sector, but uh, it, in it, particularly in banking, it was you had one customer uh, or you were doing one business, which was basically keeping track of money. And um, it, the city, it's, uh, it's it's every day, it's something else, and it's and it's not so much just keeping track of money. Yeah. So I, I want to dig some more into both of your guys. Backstory, but first I want to know, you know how did you become the first couple of security, which is what I, I've heard you called many times, or the royal couple of security, depending on, <laughs> on who says it. Or ha- talk to me about your guys, you know, personal history. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, I started off my career years ago as a application developer, and um, and eventually uh, worked my way into IT audit. Um, so I needed. Uh, a little bit more of a nine-to-five job, so I wanted to use my technical skills. So I started auditing systems, looking for, you know, weak controls. And back in in the day, right, that was primarily mainframe systems and things like that. And eventually, um, I ended up, uh, actually, Steve hired me. Um, so <laughs> that was long time ago um he was running audit at great west life at the time oh. and i went in as a as an it auditor on on his team so um that's kind of how we met yeah <laughs> we worked together yeah well, from what though you went into um security well yeah. you know eventually i ended up at galileo 
and I was um, in IT audit at Galileo. And this was in the late 90s, and um, they were, you know, historically, you know, big computer reservation systems companies, yeah. so big mainframes and a lot of, you know, point-to-point kinds of uh, connections coming in from all the hotels, the cars, the airlines, right? Mm-hmm. And all SNA traffic and everything coming uh, into their system. So um, anyway, I was an IT auditor there for a few years and I had uh, uncovered a few things around security that they needed to shore up. Um, about this time, you know, the internet was becoming uh, a much more of a business tool, and uh, Galileo was putting a presence on the web, and the person who was running security at that time didn't have a lot of experience with TCP IP and, you know, firewalls, why do we need those, and all that kind of thing was, it was all new, sure. right? And so he decided to retire. Oh. And so he's like, you know, two new stuff, I'm done, I'm out of here. So um, I was asked to step in and take over the security function at Galileo, and then I was asked to fix all the issues I had uncovered when I was there doing the audit work. So that's how I made the move from from audit to security. Um, I stayed there a couple of years, and then I moved on to J.D. Edwards. J.D. Edwards was uh, had just become a a public company. They had uh, just filed their uh, IPO and everything about six months prior. Um, And so they did not really have a concept of security. It was a family-owned company, and and J.D. Edwards, you know, uh, you shouldn't say they didn't have a concept, but everyone was, all of the employees were, you know, a big family. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you have a, when you're a public company and you have shareholders, you need to start thinking about how do you, you know, segregate uh, data and access to data. Not this everybody before or after Sarbanes Oxley. Uh, before. Okay. So you didn't have the stick. No, no, we didn't. But there was definitely uh, a need. The company was growing into a global presence, and there was definitely a need to to bring in information security as a function. And so um, I came in. There was one other person that was there for security, and together we sort of established the program. Eventually I was uh, named the CISO uh, at JDE. That was in 2000, I think. I worked for the CIO there and then, you know, just went through the acquisition in 2003 by PeopleSoft and then the acquisition by Oracle 18 months later. And that was 12 years ago. I'm still at Oracle. So that's how I made my way to Oracle, but that's how I I made the jump at Galileo from audit to security. And I've been a security leader now for almost 20 years which yeah, yeah time has gone by i've seen a lot in those 20 years and a lot of change so now do i do i remember that you guys have been married about 20 years yeah we're coming about up on 20 20 this this year 2017 yeah. mm-hmm. yep um yeah. so that means you know uh 1997 that would be correct right. yeah, your okay. math is correct so you, <laughs> you were at galileo at the time um or, when we got married i was at galileo yeah. yes i yeah. i left galileo in 98. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, do I yep. remember correctly that Debbie Blythe went through Galileo? I guess I'm thinking she after did. her time. She, she did. did. She was and a... then, yep, we knew each other there. Was she there when you were there too? You guys crossed paths um, there? I think we did, yes. Okay. And then, if I recall, she remembers working there with me. Yeah. So, yeah. I so, yeah, so 
Debbie Blythe, the CISO of the state of Colorado, who is uh, someone else who we, we run into pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, S- Steve, talk, talk to us about your, your backstory. Yeah, so this, I'm going to go back to the uh, uh, Great West Life uh, days. And um, I, I, I was just running IT audit. So IT audit was, was relatively new, and I was had a position to fill. Um, and Gail was uh, making a leap from uh, her prior career, which was, um, I think you were doing programming at a church or running a school and church software. Uh, so she was trying to get back into the more uh, bigger business. I think you were volunteering or working for to pay for your kids' tuition. Uh, you got free tuition, tuition remission. Um, anyway, the uh, yeah, so at that time, uh, viruses, computer viruses were just becoming um, an issue in uh, in security and in, in technology in general. And uh, I was always, uh, you know, a, I guess a forward thinker. And so I thought, well, I need to learn about this. And so uh, Gail was already on board. And I said, you know, do you want to go with me uh, to get some books on viruses? And so we went down to the, uh, she agreed to go. And so I think for lunch, we went down to the uh, Tattered Cover bookstore when it was uh, downtown, mm-hmm. down in Cherry Creek in those days. Uh, and then uh, we must have bought, I don't know, a lot of books. and <laughs> all, all the books. All, all the books. Here's one. And I, it was amazing how much, uh, how much information was available. Uh, not very many people in technology were even talking about it. And uh, so we went and got the books. And, um, and Gail's a really good reader. Um, I'm not so much a reader. So she started to read about this. And, uh, and then we had a, uh, the Dark Avenger virus uh, breakout at Great West Life, and Gail had read the books, and so she was then the virus queen because she knew she we knew what to do, and it was like we came from audit and uh, and the security people at the time were were all mainframe security people, so they were you know focused on uh, ACF two and uh, mainframe F. yeah well we had a, we were an ACF two shop but it was but like rack F in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they didn't understand anything about the PCs. And the PCs were just kind of coming into to being, and you know. And I came, I moved here from New York, and uh, I uh, and in New York we used other tools. But in, in Colorado, everybody used WordPerfect. I thought it was some kind of state law that you had to use WordPerfect, and that's how far back this goes. And this is WordPerfect in the before the GUI interface, uh, which they did horribly. But the um, so anyway, the, the computers were just starting to proliferate to the desktop. And in my department at the time, uh, people had to sign up to use the computers. And there was like four computers on a table, and you had to reg- reserve your time. And, uh, and I was insisting to my management that all the IT auditors needed their own computer. And so I was cutting this 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 thing, and you know, they all. And then there was this envy because you know the IT auditors are so special; <laughs> they have their own computers, and. Um, and then, uh, so they were starting to proliferate throughout the workplace. And so uh, we had a desktop technician, a very helpful guy. And uh, anybody, if you had a problem with your computer, you called this guy. And one of the things that he carried with him was a floppy diskette uh, that had his uh, tools, his, his tools on it. And so people would have a problem. And uh, anyway, this turns into the fact that the virus spread the way it did 
because the guy that walked around and inserted his desk, inserted his diskette and all these uh, computers. And so it was like we, you know, named him Typhoid Mary, I think, because he was actually spreading, spreading the virus. And uh, we were the first ones to have antivirus software. And uh, I remember we were at an ISACA conference up in uh, the mountains, Keystone, I believe. And uh, uh, one guy stayed, stayed back at the office and um, he called me and he said he was having trouble with this, this 3270 emulator program that wasn't working properly. In the end, I found out it didn't work right because he had the virus. But um, So I said, well, why don't you scan it? And so we had this scanning software, um, and then what, what we found out was in the process of scanning that we could spread the virus faster because every file that was scanned was then infected oh. once the system had the virus on it. Anyway, so we ended up being um, doing a presentation at ISACA about this event, uh, and and it was really kind of interesting because a lot of the people were like, "Well, what are you recommending, Steve? What's your, your recommendation?" And my recommendation at that time was, "You must run antivirus continuously scanning in a continuously scanning mode." Yeah. And most companies were not willing to do that. They said, "Well, we'll scan once a week." Or we'll scan, uh, you know, once a month. Yeah. I got hate hate mail from uh, people that uh, had seen that presentation and saying this is uh, this concept of viruses is all made up. In the you know, and that this guy was an author of a book on writing word macros. You know, he had his book, and um, and so, uh, but it was funny because he just told me, you know, you're just making this stuff up, and I would never tell anybody to run antivirus software. And uh, so I think we yeah. were we were pioneers of the day. And actually, <laughs> yeah, they used to, you know, Ghostbusters was the first Ghostbusters movie was out, and uh, somebody drew a caricature of Gail and I with the backpacks on, uh, with the you know shooting our, our the thing out to kill the viruses, the viruses? Yeah. yeah, getting the ghosts yeah. out of the PCs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you still have that picture? I, <laughs> can I can I get that as a as a part of the post oh my for this here? Could I find sure. it? I, All right, that's a challenge. Uh, that's it's a, a challenge, challenge for you. Yeah. See if you can find this I vividly remember it, though. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So we, I think we've seen a lot of change. You know. Um, mm-hmm. You know. When I remember uh, early in the early two thousands, you know, back at that time, the whole idea of uh, having a virus or a worm, uh, you know, released um, out on your network, um, was the big the big thing of the day where people either wanted notoriety, they wanted to get in the news, they wanted to be able to take networks down. And so, you know, I remember I was, there was a, um, we had a Microsoft Exchange mail server. Um, and this was at J.D. Edwards when I was working there. And I kept saying, we're going to get, you know, an email-born virus. And all the tech people were kept saying, well, you know, we can't run antivirus on, on Microsoft Exchange. It's not certified to run with it. Microsoft won't support, blah, 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 blah. And they kept fighting me about this. And then about 3 in the morning, my um, I had a two-way pager at the time. It went off. And it was um, my people in Singapore calling me because they had the I love you virus. I don't know uh, if you remember, but that was, it was taking down our entire mail system. And... Uh, and so, you know, it took us several days really to clean that up. And, um, and, like and 1999, is that oh, right? Oh, that would have been in the early, mm. maybe 2000. Mm. It was maybe 99. I remember coming into work, and, I, and at yeah. the time I was, I was a uh, help desk 
person at a, at a Electronic Arts. If you guys know, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. video game company. Uh, I remember coming in one day and this, you couldn't use your computers. Everyone's computer was disabled. They just wouldn't let anyone log in because they hadn't figured out how to deal with it yet. And right. you know, on the West Coast, so had a couple hours of of, of foresight sight on it and just nope, we're not going to use computers today. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. What are you going to do, right? And so, and so anyway, that sort of demonstrated. And I remember at the time that, you know, we got all the way through that. I was at the office probably for 36, 40 hours straight, uh, just trying to deal with all of the issues and the ramifications. And uh, the CIO at the time said, next time you guys listen to her. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was interesting. I, I, you know, then we had all these, you know, like Code Red and we had SQL Slammer. I remember uh, one time I was at, when I was working with, for PeopleSoft at the time, I was in California and we were in this big conference room and all of a sudden we were having a huge problem of, um, traffic on the network, and um, they we had a big uh, you know, screen, and so we popped up, you know, what some of the traffic monitoring was looking at. And I remember standing there, and I was seeing the traffic pattern, and I said, "That's SQL Slammer." And they said, "It can't be. We are we are you know we've dealt with that. We're good." I'm like, I'm telling you, I I believe that's what it is. And as it turned out, we had gotten another infection of wow. SQL Slammer, but. So part of that is just the experience of going through uh, and being able to deal with those kinds of incidents. Well, now, you know, that's not so much, you know, the, the um, big risk anymore. Um, I think what we're, we're seeing now is it's not about being a noisy uh, and, you know, um, there's still distributed denial of service and all that kinds of thing that can happen, but more the threat that we're seeing um, is around, you know, the stealth kind of threat and being on your network and not being picked up because what you what the whole idea is to look for data uh, and that get that data, data exfiltration, exfiltration, espionage. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Of course, ransomware has become. Pretty popular. I would guess you guys are probably not as big a target of ransomware, but I might think that the city of Denver might be. Oh, we have been. Yeah, that, that seems yeah. like something that, you know, you know, we've seen hospitals, we've seen government, we've seen police stations uh, attacked by that. Yeah. So, so, you know, you guys both have, for different reasons, are fairly big targets. You know, Gail, hosting lots and lots of customers in a, in a cloud environment, um, <clears throat> pretty big target. And, and Steve, I know I, I've heard you talk about, you know, how you were targeted a while back by the the group anonymous mm -hmm. and, um, yes. and probably, you know, you, you're representing a, a government and high profile, large city in America. You know, any stories you can talk to about, about what that's been like? Well, anonymous uh, and I have got a lot of time together. Uh, we've been uh, targeted multiple times. Uh, the, one of the most uh, <clears throat> interesting ones was uh, this would have been, gosh, when did the movie about Korea, what was that called? The, the, int um, the interview? Oh yeah, the interview that was uh, like Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, two years ago I think. Yeah, the interview with yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So the the interview movie had come out around Christmas time, and uh, uh, <clears throat> and I think this was around the 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 Sony hack. The Sony hack. Yeah, it was around that. Yeah, right after that, right. And that was like the Sony hack was viewed as like retaliation. I remember it was a a Sunday uh, that uh, I was uh, asking Gail, Where, "Where's our son?" And uh, she said, "He's he's 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 watching a movie." I said, well, what movie is he watching? And, and, and then she said, the interview. 
And I said, oh, my God. And I said, get him off. They will, they will find us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that weekend, we were doing a, a major network upgrade. And, uh, and then Monday morning, about 1030 in the morning, uh, I remember the deputy CIO came in and said, what's wrong with the Internet? And she's, you know, holding her phone in her hand and looking down at it, and like she's got no service or whatever. And we're saying, "Well, what do you mean? What's wrong with the internet?" And then we found out that we really had no uh, access uh, to the internet. Uh, we were had actually lost uh, the, the trap. We were under denial of service attack, and uh, we didn't know it at the time. Uh, so what we, what we thought was something went wrong with with the network change, and we were trying to get ready to back out all the work that we did and, and how complicated it was. Uh, and in the middle of all that, where we're trying to figure out what's going on, um, uh, one of my team uh, sends me an email, and, and, and it's a news story about uh, a person that uh, was uh, shot by the police. And I thought, well, why, you know, why isn't he helping solve this problem, and why is he sending me an email about a police incident? Yeah. And uh, so what had happened is as that news uh, of the shooting had spread that then anonymous uh, led a very large effort against us and um, and this was and they basically burned us down. We were at the point where we couldn't uh, can access our our equipment, uh, so we you know disconnected from the internet um, and so that was the only way we could regain control of our of our stuff and the uh, however, during the process of once we figured out that there was a connection, that we were under a denial of service attack, my team was um, watching uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook, and we found uh, various personality, personalities that were bragging about taking Denver down. And uh, that data we captured uh, real time, uh, and later in working with the FBI, uh, over a period of time, we were actually, uh, the data that we collected helped them get the connections between the cyber attackers and uh, the uh, main person, I think at the time, he was maybe 14 years old, mm. uh, but he um, was uh, eventually arrested by uh, Interpol in uh, the UK in his parents' basement, and uh, the FBI said that they had attacked uh, so many, many, many governments, uh, and of which we were you know, just a minor, right. minor victim, but that our data that we collected at the time was instrumental and helping them determine who it was, who the personality was, and then uh, led to the arrest. And, um, and it's fortunate that it happened in the UK because uh, in the US, the FBI would not arrest a minor, or would not charge a minor for this kind of crime. Uh, so they would have just uh, had to just let it go. But, um, but anyway, they, they com uh, commended us. I asked them, you know, would you come in and tell my management? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so the FBI and CBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, uh, sent people. Uh, and they did a uh, presentation and basically thanked us for helping us, uh, helping them and the world over uh, capture uh, some major cyber criminals. So these guys were, were uh, you know, I think hacking for fun. Yeah. I mean, they were just saying, can we, can we cause, can we knock them down? And as Gail said earlier, you know, they were just uh, going after a tally. Um, and the cyber criminals that we're facing today, now I saw it two years, right? And so it's like, it's, it has become so much more vicious. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, but we still have a, a good relationship with Anonymous or, or any uh, city social policy uh, that isn't popular or whatever. The Anonymous may take, uh, uh, you know, identify with that and use that to, to attack us. And uh, hmm. we're, uh, um, 
they they've stayed away lately, but you know, I guess we got to knock on wood. Can I do that? Okay, <laughs> um, but uh, people say that that will lead to uh, you know, if you say they're they're going away, they'll come back. But and it's and it's one of these things, you know, it's not like um, like you can get a a childhood disease and you become immune to it, you know. So it's kind of like, well, I already had chickenpox. Yeah, I already had an August yeah. once. <laughs> so I'm not going to get I'm not going to get ransomware again. I'm not going to get another denial of service again, you know. So it's kind of like. It's always there. It's just, uh, yeah, so yeah. Dallas services come back um, frequently, but we, we're pretty good at handling it these days. Gil, do you have any mm-hmm. stories about attacks against your service or, you know, people out to get you that you can, you can share? That was a little bit different in a, in a you know, private, private um, sector. You know, um, I, probably, yeah, nothing that I want to go into, you know, a whole lot of detail about. But, um, you know, we do see, you know, we are targeted uh, distributed denial of service from time to time. You know, we've we've gotten very good at being able to offload our traffic and get it cleaned up and and come back. Um, You know, when you have a, a huge amount of customers a, a large number of customers you're servicing that results in a huge amount of network traffic going through your uh, network um, you you know the layers of control have to be pretty strong um, and I, I feel like we we do a very good job there um, there's always little things that come up here and there I think one of the things I would say today that we see a, a bit more of is you know, credential capture and reuse. And I think that companies have to really think uh, a lot today about whether they should use only a user ID and password for anything critical over the web. It, you know, you there is just too much opportunity uh, for that those credentials to be captured and replayed. And we have seen that happen. So strong authentication on the front side of anything uh, sensitive needs to be in place there. So I think we're seeing that whole thing move. I've seen it shift in the last 18 months, probably two years to 18 months really become critical. And oftentimes companies are a little bit hesitant to you know, adopt a new technology, right? We've seen a lot of technology change. We we talked about how, you know, there was a time when people, you know, didn't believe viruses existed or didn't believe that you should be running antivirus software. Now you wouldn't think, you know, of having a system that did not have antivirus software on it and you personal firewall. And then we, you know, we've added intrusion detection and intrusion prevention and we've added SIM technologies and web application firewalls. As companies use technology to deliver their their services, their products and their services to market more than in, in more in different ways, then that changes your whole threat landscape and you've got to continue to adjust your control. So um, I would just say those are some of the things we're seeing. Yeah, the the example getting multi-factor implemented, I think, is, is just a, a no-brainer for just about everything. You know, as a baseline, multi-factor, even if it's not the strongest multi-factor, just getting rid of credential replay. You know, someone gets the, the yeah. breach from Yahoo or whatever recent data breach there is, they're going to use those credentials and try and get in everywhere. And it's, it's great if you, if you make it harder for them, right? Just adding a little bit of more difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you get to targeted attacks, just any old multi-factor may not be good enough. But um, just as, as a starting point, I think that's... That's yeah. really good advice. 
Um, so, Gail, would you mind kind of sh sharing anything you're especially proud of, either from your time at Oracle or somewhere earlier in your career, any, any successes you've had that um, you'd like to share with the group? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I've um, experienced throughout my career, sort of my perspective on security is that, you know, security needs to be an enabler. And if you can enable your business to move forward in different ways, then you're seen more as a, as a partner and you're not seen as this gatekeeper that's always perhaps making it difficult uh, to move to new technology. So one of the things, you know, uh, just as an example here, um, and this was probably back in about 2006 or 2007, we had an opportunity in our managed services space to, you know, host U.S. government um, mm. with Oracle. And um, the opportunity came in, and, you know, everybody said, can we do this? Can we do this? And I said, well, let me look at see what type of security controls, you know, we need to really put in place to support this business. So we, you know, did some investigation. I had a person on my team that was that came from um, military with a military background. And so, you know, we looked at all the requirements and needs. At the end of the day, it had been tried, I was told it had been tried two or three times previously, and it was not going to be accepted to, to go forward. The risk of hosting and managing this type of data was too great. Um, but we came forward with, here's the proposal, we're going to isolate physically and logically, you know, our, our government service, our federal service, we're going to have U.S. people, we're going to get them through security clearance, we have all these controls, we meet all these regulatory requirements, and we ended up getting a, a sign-off to go ahead and proceed, and that business operates today for us, and it's it's been very successful. So I think, you know, you can, in this particular case where we had a lot of the technology people saying, being the naysayer and mm. saying can't be done, security really just did a little bit of due diligence to come back and say, well, we can do it, and here's, and how, here's we how we can do it. And if you're willing to put that investment in place and make sure that it's being run and managed properly, your risk is is you know, substantially reduced. And, and so that's how we did it. And I think, you know, we have to always be creative about, yeah. you know, how can we, you know, help the business? How can we be seen as value add to the business? And I think when you do that, then the next time you come forward with some other kind of effort that you want to do, you have some champions and some support in your business for that. So it sounds like, you know, the big success there is enabling Oracle to open up a, a sounds like profitable side of the business that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. That's that's pretty pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we've we've done a we've gone to a point now with in the cloud side, you know, that we're almost uh, from a um, we add services for our customers like PCI services or HIPAA services and you know, we've become self um, supporting so my organization is really not a cost center. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another way that you can add value. You, so you always you have to think about it in different terms and different perspectives, right? But how, how can you use your, your security uh, capabilities to move your company or move your entity, a public 
a public sector into being able to distribute maybe some of your services in a more economically feasible way right. in which you know overall it's lower cost there's there's a layer of there and of security that you put in to make sure you're doing it the right way so hmm. Steve any uh, I'd love to hear from your perspective any successes you know on your in yeah it's the like city that you want to share with us you know it's a, every year I think we have something fantastic to talk about but um, <clears throat> I'm going to go and roll back here to the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference uh, 2016 to early 2016 one of the keynote our lunch keynote speakers I believe was talking about the importance of information sharing <clears throat> and the um, Gene, Gene Spafford yeah, Gene, Gene yeah. Spafford was ta- did the yeah. national keynote. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, the biggest security conference in Colorado, coming up May 9th, tenth, and eleventh at the Colorado Convention Center. Yes, that's, that's exactly the, exactly the yeah. conference I'm speaking of. <laughs> and uh, one of the the points that he that he made was that um, the hackers um, exchange information, exchange tricks, uh, have no reservations about holding back on here's how to break something. And they um, constantly share that information. However, on the other side of the coin, the you know, if, let's say if you're a bank, uh, you don't want to talk too much about being hacked, and so mm-hmm. that information tends to stay within the bank and uh, doesn't. Uh, you know, there is an FSI SAC um, that for financial services that does help promote exchange of information, but a lot of times that data is you know more about. Uh, you know, these are the patches that you got to apply and what the latest vulnerability is in a particular commercial software, but not so much about what, um, you know, what somebody would actually do to you. Um, and I think that uh, I was kind of inspired by that, and I took a, an initiative for uh, this year, and actually the inspiration was our last anonymous attack. Uh, when, our, when we were having that happen, our director of marketing uh, was with us. Um, we're working on this in the event that we had to make a public statement. Um, and then she kind of said, well, it seems like we get these attacks when there's something good going on in the city or something significant. And maybe, you know, Anonymous is trying to show up and, and dampen that, that mm-hmm. experience. And so she had asked, well, what, what would be the, you know, the Anonymous forecast? Uh, when could we expect to have something else have bad happen? And I thought, oh, my gosh, it would be the elections. Mm. And so um, then I, uh, this was in April of 2016, so I started a project and I had this crazy idea that we would work with other governments to plan and protect ourselves for the upcoming election. And, um, and this has never been done before in Colorado where a municipality or a county, a county of Denver, um, reached out, the technology people from the city, working with the technology people of the state, to collaborate on uh, what what possible things could happen to us and what could we do about it and could we communicate uh, during an event and an incident uh, back in the election of uh, 2014 the um, the not the the presidential election the off election um, we had you know a lot of difficulties and one of the things that was was really weird was like you know we were having a problem if it was after hours we called the state. And the state people had gone home for the day, and so you'd get their voicemail, and you didn't know how to get a hold of them. Uh, and uh, so we examined every layer of something that could go wrong, even from finding out who to call, uh, do we, you know, what their phone numbers are, what types of services do we have for protections, uh, can we alter our um, our traffic patterns if we if we do become under attack, uh, what if uh, we're physically attacked. Um, 
and the uh, any, any aspect about that. And so, uh, you know, we had a we, so I'm, I have proposed for the 2017 Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. We submitted a paper. Where we're going to tell the story. Uh, we've um, just recently you know, did a presentation in Colorado Springs on it. Uh, we're going to ISSA in Colorado Springs has invited us to uh, speak at their uh, Cyber Day. Uh, March March thirtieth, right? yeah. So we'll be uh, telling that story there, and hopefully at the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. So we're presenting. Um, it's a uh, myself as the CISO for the City and County of Denver, uh, Rich Slipe, who's the CISO for the Secretary of State's office, and uh, one of my team, James Stoner, who was uh, an Information Security Manager, who really uh, is a brilliant man and uh, did a lot of the magic uh, for us. Uh, so we were, uh, you know, just kind of in contrast, and we were able to watch network traffic real time. We could see uh, our traffic from um, the Secretary of State from the external view, and we could see their internal view, um, which never before had happened. And when I first brought up this idea of, you know, I'd like to watch your network traffic, uh, you know, Rich, in the, in those, at that time, he says, well, I'll send you our report. We, we do one weekly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of help us on Election Day. So we, yeah. we now, and, and during Election Day, had real-time real-time visibility, so we, we could tell the state of any of our network devices from the from a switch to a router to uh, physical locations in, in the, all within the city, and the state had that as well within the, within for the whole state. So it's really a pretty good story of collaboration. So um, I'm excited about it. I think that there's uh, opportunities for um, governments to uh, improve their uh, stability and reliability and resiliency of their systems by working together. So well, I hope, look forward to hearing yeah. more about it in a, in a few months. That sounds <laughs> great. Um, so I'm asked the question, you know, that those are great success stories. I'd love to hear if you guys can share a story of something you've done that didn't work out. Um, something, you know, I, I think all too often we talk about all the good stuff and we don't share so much what didn't work so people can learn from that as well. Do you guys have any stories from your current jobs or previous jobs of something you tried that, you know, maybe didn't go well, and, and what we learned from that, and, and how you've used that to get better. Wow, I think I usually purge those from my memory. <laughs> um, <clears throat> gosh, I don't, I don't know. Think. I have to think. Well, I can think of what, where you had a challenge, but it ended up going well, but it was a rolling out uh, desktop encryption. Or that was a, that was, now you were a pioneer, and the user experience, if I recall, was, was not so good. Yeah, initially, I mean, I think we had some real challenges. I know, you know, we felt like um, laptop and desktop encryption needed to be deployed. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a, a very uh, challenging deployment for a lot of reasons because, you know, you wanted, you didn't want to have huge performance impact on people. And we did experience some of that. You didn't want to have anybody lose their data off there and have their data be unrecoverable and we did have a couple of experiences of that and so you know you that does um, it, it, it makes a project not go well and then makes everybody want to run away right. from it completely right but we were able to you know technically solve those problems provide those Assurances and eventually get it rolled out. And now, desktop encryption, that was back when we did that encryption project. I think it was 
long, quite a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it was before, pretty new technology. Oracle, so. I want to say it was J.D. Edwards when I was still at J.D. Edwards. So it had been before 2003. So that was a long time ago. The technology's got... It's much better. <laughs> yeah. Technology's work a lot better. Yeah. Back, back then it was not so seamless. And yeah. you probably yeah. had a lot of key problems where you would actually might lose data. I think there's this balance, right, between, you know, we always want to be the security people who enable the business to be successful. We don't want to go put barriers right. in, in the place. But at some point, there's this risk balance. If we don't do desktop encryption, um, you know, there's all these all of these many lost and stolen laptops across an enterprise turn into data breach issue. problems. Yeah. If do. we do do the encryption when the technology is not ready, um, we're going to cause, you know, user impact. And there's it becomes a risk mm-hmm. management decision in these tough conversations. Um, they're not as easy as we'd like them to be sometimes. So no, that makes perfect yeah, sense. That, that, I had forgotten about that. But oh, yeah. So and I do have a story. This is from, uh, um, I guess, 2015. Uh, the uh, fire department put in a request for a, um, a garage door opener that they wanted to connect to the Internet. And um, so this is an IoT story. And the, the, the position, you know, and the request came up to me. Uh, are we going to allow them to connect the garage door opener to the internet? And I was like, you know, I'm all about security. This makes no sense to me. No. And so the only time he said no. Uh, and the, 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 the repercussions of that was from, you know, the fire department coming back to say, well, how are you technology people helping us? Um, and what had happened was that I wasn't, I wasn't ready uh, to understand what this problem was. And, um, and, you know, just because I didn't know what, why would you connect a garage door opener to the Internet did make sense to me. I gave it no thought. And that really was a big, big lesson for me because uh, after the, uh, uh, the fire was on <laughs> internally, then I went and visited the fire department and said, what is it you're trying to do? And uh, which is what we should have said before. But, you know, my team said, you know, this is a, uh, you know, it's a home type of device, uh, there's no place in the business, and they all poo-pooed it, and it was basically, we were now found ourselves repeating the story of security over and over again. It's like you you look at the future based on what you know in the past. Mm-hmm. And so um, it made some really poor uh, decisions there. And so politically, it was very damaging. However, I, I owned up for it. And the, and the interesting part of the story was that the uh, it's not just a garage door opener. This is <laughs> These open the bay the bays that the fire trucks come out of and the, the uh, equipment that they had to open the doors were, were very old and needed to be replaced. But one of the problems that the fire department would have is that they couldn't tell um, sometimes how, if the door has risen high enough for the truck to clear. And so they'd have occasionally where they'd go out to, you know, to be dispatched, you know, a very horrible event or something, and they would take off too fast and break the garage door mm-hmm. in the process and damage the truck. And so uh, because the, the engineer that's driving the uh, truck cannot see above, uh, above the truck because, because the truck is so huge. And uh, anyway, so part, they wanted to introduce some technology there where they could just have a light on that said, you know, the door is up high enough, you can leave now. And uh, that was one of the little things they wanted to do. And, uh, and then what happens is that sometimes, because with the old garage door opener, they were the single button pusher. And if like you pushed, you accidentally pushed it twice, it would do two cycles. And so... Close back, start closing again, basically? Yeah, yeah, it could start closing. Or um, if they saw that and they hit the button, then they would leave the firehouse 
and the garage door would be open. Hmm. And so then that's an invitation right. to hoodlums and things and vandals uh, to come into the fire station. And so if the truck was being dispatched, uh, they would have to call the 911 and ask for the police department to go shut the garage door <laughs> at the fire station. So there were all kinds of problems here that could be easily solved with a garage door opener that had a video camera that the 911 dispatch center could use. Anybody could go and say if that door was still open, they could close it. And, would, you know, and it wouldn't rely on the button that was inside the truck. And, uh, and so it was like, oh, my God, they're, they are way ahead of us. They've got this IoT kind of device. And uh, and we just slammed the door in their face, mm. and this has been now it's a, it, we're 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 golden because <laughs> I turned that thing around and we helped you know facilitate it, and they actually had asked to connect that device to a Wi-Fi network that is uh, highly regulated uh, from a CJIS or Criminal Justice Information Services perspective, uh, of which you know we're under regulation through the FBI, and I asked why did you want to connect it there. And they said, well, because that's the Wi-Fi we have. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll get you a Wi-Fi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you can put your IoT on. So yeah. uh, anyway, with the, that, that, that was a story. And I think that's really a big lesson. It's because um, I think uh, IoT especially, is, is, it's coming. And it's coming in such huge waves that we need to really be prepared for that and thinking forward. And how are we going to control it, especially, you know, with the Mariah, um, you know, uh, denial of service uh, attacks and things like that, that these devices can be misapplied to, that it's important that we uh, be on top of it. Um, I watched a proposal uh, go before the city where they're looking at, uh, in order to save money on energy, that they're going to put in, uh, you know, various monitors inside the building so they can, you know, shut down the heating when necessary or turn off lights and, and be able to have all those under central control. And so all those proposals are going forward and there's no mention of technology behind it, you know, so I know that within a year when these projects are implemented, they're going to want to put those on Wi-Fi. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that all these devices now are going to be vulnerable. So, uh, yeah, we had, because uh, I think we need to all kind of look at what, you know, how do you, how do you stay abreast of this is really kind of the question. And I just think, you know, you got to go out to your customers and ask them, you know, what are you looking at? And what, pro- what is the problem you're trying to solve? Um, and and not we're not we shouldn't be um, security organizations that say no we should be a security organization that says let me help you do that the yeah. right way and and reduce the level of risk as much as as much as you can we're never going to be risk free uh, unless you disconnect completely no. from everything you're there's always <clears throat> risk associated but what you want to be able to do is get that risk to a level that's reasonable and acceptable. And, uh, and and support the business. So I think that's what how security has changed in the 20 years. I've been leading security teams, and I, you know, it just come full circle back around that. I mean, we really, it's it, we have to be smart. We have to be knowledgeable. We have to ask the questions, and we need to bring the right solutions. And that's, that's what makes the job fun, but it's also, you know, a challenge for every organization. So I, we, we're doing a good job here. For, we're I think almost uh, 50 minutes in now. Um, I don't want to close up quite yet, though. Um, I want to ask you guys a couple questions about the security community here in Colorado. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, as you Steve called it, what you, you know, Cyber City USA. Yeah. Here, here, right in the middle of Colorado. Um, and I, I just want to hear from you guys. 
I'll say over the last few years that I've got to know both of you, I really appreciate your, you know, your engagement in the community and your willingness. You know, I've heard you talk several times. You know, Gail, I know you're involved with several different organizations helping with leadership. Um, you know, talk to me about your guys' experience here and what's keeping you engaged after you know, 20 years leading. What keeps you, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone, outside of your job, and still, still out there helping, uh, helping other folks out? I start with Gail, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So, you know, I get involved um, in a lot of different areas uh, professionally within Colorado. First of all, I love Colorado. I've lived here the majority of my life and and don't plan to live anywhere else. So, um, and I feel like we have a small community um, and we know each other, right? People cross paths, people that you've worked with in the past, you know, you'll run into again, um, just like... Debbie and I have burning to each other and others. So I, uh, I'm involved with the um, Colorado Technology Association Women's Initiative. So um, I represent Oracle there. Um, and it's a subcommittee off the CTA board. And we put on or sponsor every year um, the, the Women's Summit that occurs in June. This year it'll be, I believe it's June... Ninth, and it'll be in Larkspur, but we generally get somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 to 600 women that have some sort of role in technology uh, that come and we do a day-long event uh, specifically uh, to, you know, have some seminars and some speaking uh, uh, speakers that talk about, you know, some of the challenges sometimes they're could be for women in technology or some of the great kinds of careers you could have and how, you know, give people food for thought. So I'm involved there. I'm involved um, also with ISACA. So ISACA has a women's initiative program connecting and inspiring women. And um, and as a matter of fact, there's a, an article actually that cool. I'll be in on in the new release of the ISACA journal. Uh, so you'll sort of see uh, a little bit about me and my background there. So I've been involved at that for probably a year and a half or two years trying to help our, our membership in the ISACA organization. Um, I've been a past president of ISACA. So uh, in ISSA, I'm involved with as well. And, and uh, um, you know, just from my perspective, it's a way I can give back. Uh, get back to the community, get back to people who are, you know, help give, you know, extend a, a helping hand or a lift up for people who are coming up in the business. We don't have enough really, you know, good, skilled, talented security people. We don't have as many as the, you know, we need today in the industry. So anything I can do to inspire or bring someone forward or get them excited about security is something I really enjoy. I think I remember both of you guys signed up as mentors in the ISSA mentorship I, program. I, I, I know I Gail did. did. Gail I did. did. I did so I'll twist, I'll twist your arm a oh, little yeah. bit then. Uh, <clears throat> you know, opportunity of one-on-one mentoring there. Steve, I, I know I've seen you around quite a bit. What, what keeps you from you – know, you have a full-time job. I know you, you can spend as many hours as you want to doing your job. You know, but what keeps you engaged in the community at, at large? Well, I think that's maybe something Gail and I share is that there's uh, – like a giving back uh, aspect, um, I feel it's really important that um, that professionally you can help other people. Um, I enjoy it too. I mean, I got to be very honest about that. I just I love to uh, love to speak. Um, 
I am a frustrated comedian, so if I can ever <laughs> add something humorous to a story, I, I like to do that. Um, so um, that, that community involvement is really important. I think uh, as I work with uh, a lot of my ex, I don't know, it's probably closely related to my job, but I work with the Homeland Security, um, and um, uh, the acronyms are too long. I can never remember all the letters to say, but uh, we're uh, working to... Um, at least in the kind of like a, from a local area, more working, you know, from smaller circles to larger circles of exchange of information, um, of incidents. Um, the um, we've started a uh, collaboration with a few counties in the in the state of Colorado uh, and some uh, municipalities, and um, trying to find out can we uh, alert each other of cyber risks as they are happening. Uh, there are. Um, there, there are mechanisms within Homeland Security to communicate information, and it, it usually, by the time it gets uh, consolidated and scrubbed and ready for return, uh, it might run a cycle of uh, three weeks to four weeks. Uh, so the information is is, uh, is well vetted by that time, but it's stale. Uh, so, uh, the, but, the, but nonetheless, it's still very valuable. So uh, what we're trying to do is, what uh, uh, we've got going currently, is a, uh, a text like listserv, uh, and um, we can put out a, a quick bulletin. Uh, we had a, um, a recent uh, a web defacement uh, that was uh, exploiting particular vulnerabilities, uh, and I was able to win. It wasn't quite a tweet, but I don't know how many characters I didn't count it, but um, it's I could notify uh, my peers in the state of this particular uh, vulnerability that was uh, was exploited. And uh, what we've done about it, you know, very short, and then it goes out instantly. That's great. And well, uh, yeah, so that's uh, something we're working on. Yeah, but you've also been really your team, you and your team, I think, have been involved at the cybersecurity challenge. Oh yeah, like the Rocky Mountain. Uh, Is that CCDC? Or, yeah, yeah, the Rocky Mountain Cyber, Cyber Collegiate, Collegiate Defense, Defense Competition. Competition. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so you know, I, I do haven't yeah. talked about this recently, yeah. but the CCDC is, I think, it may be one of the most. Um, valuable, interesting educational things I've seen. Basically, you get college teams together, uh, and they're they're assigned to um, defend or you know secure an environment, um, and then they're competing against other college teams that are doing the same thing. With you know, with um, there's another the red team out there that's trying yeah. to break in and. Um, yeah, we actually designed the, uh, the the platform for the competition awesome. in the Rocky Mountain. Uh, we uh, set it up as a um, exploitation of the traffic network, and that we we brought our traffic engineering people to meet with other folks from Regis University, and um, they provided uh, hardware that they could use during the competition. I wasn't able to attend it though, so I, I didn't actually see that. But you know, we set up like. You know what's it take to hack a traffic light, and then what? Uh, and once you're in on that network, can you get to uh, another part of the city network? Yeah. And so we provided that framework uh, for last year's competition. And I think this year's competition is March, early March. I don't have dates off the top of my head. I'll, I will get it for okay. uh, for later. But uh, early, early March at Regis, and there there are. Um, opportunities to come observe, and there's also opportunities to volunteer for anyone who's interested in getting involved. Yeah, we volunteered every year. I think for the last several years, we've yeah. uh, also uh, provided financial support as well in the past. Yeah, 
Yep. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate your guys' time. I think you got some great tips for people who are running security programs and some stories of stuff that went, went well. And how can I, can can I finish better. one yeah, on please. more of a of personal note, yeah. right, on what it's like to live with two security people in the same <laughs> house? <laughs> so our son, uh, our youngest son, is uh, just used to be, you know, he he is just off to college this past fall, but he when he was at home still, you know, he would hate going to dinner with us because he would say, all you're going to do is talk about work. And it is so boring, boring, boring. <laughs> you know, and we do have these discussions. You can imagine how, you know, at the end of the day and we go under the cone of silence, yeah. right? And uh, and then we discuss maybe some challenges or problems that we're facing um, in our jobs and give each other ideas, you know, right. on how to resolve that. So from that perspective, it's really great. But but I would say that, you know, I'm going to say this about Zach because uh, we were on our way home from school. We were ride-sharing when he was a senior. And, uh, you know, I he was thinking about colleges and where he wanted to go and what he wanted to major and then all of that. And he said to me one day, he goes, Mom, I want to do what you do. Wow. And I was like so thrilled and proud of him. And so, yeah, he's a yeah. computer engineering major now off at Seattle University, but hopefully he'll turn into an excellent security professional one day because that's really where, you know, he has set his sights. So if we can get more people excited about this profession. Um, you we'll, guys did your job at home, yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we need to spread that around a little yeah, bit, but I wanted bit. to end with that. Well, well I, I would say, you know, one last question for you guys. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's looking to break into security who maybe doesn't have um, – doesn't have the baseline skills, what should they go after and learn? What would you tell your son? You know, he wants to go after security. What have you told him? And what would you tell others who maybe want to do a career change and get into it? Well, can I, this, this is a, a back, back to the blast of the past. Um, so when I was um, first arrived in Denver, I was asked to be on a panel. Uh, Institute of Internal Auditors, the Denver chapter, was at a, at a panel. They wanted an IT auditor on there. And so I... Uh, so I, so I went and volunteered, I was going to be the speaker, and, um, <clears throat> or one of the speakers of, of several. And, uh, and I had asked Gail, um, she was attending the event, I said, if nobody asks a question, how do I get into that profession, would you please ask it? Hmm. And so uh, they were getting down, it was the, the, the end, and there were any final questions, and so then, then Gail remembered her, her job. Her job. My and job. <laughs> so she stood up and she asked, uh, how does one get into IT auditing? Yeah. I said, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> and so what I had prepared in advance was a, uh, a nerd kit. And uh, so I said, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to look the part. And so then I pulled out, I had these uh, eyeglasses that had the tape, you know, on the, over the nose piece, you know, and so you got to put those on. You need a pocket protector, you know, brought out the pocket protector and put the pens. You got to have that. And it was, um, anyway, the place, you know, one of those <laughs> things you kind of had to be there, but uh, it was uh, totally very, very funny. Uh, but looking the part was was part of the very story. Important. Anyway, they thought her people at Gail's table thought she was uh, privy to what I was going to do, and she was not. She was told, <laughs> she kind of discovered early on that um, to be very careful with me. But uh, you know, I think that to to, to to help somebody get into the profession is, I think it's really. Um, I, I'm, I wish I had a good answer for that. I think that there's a a way that you need to get people into it. But you know, this is a hard job. 
and it's the hardest job I've ever had um, in security. And, uh, and it can be incredibly stressful. Uh, a lot of things are depending upon you making the right decision. And as you know, they say that a hacker's only got to be right once to get in. And, uh, and from a, the protection side, you've always got to be right. And, um, and a bad decision on my part can, can be catastrophic. And so, um, I don't know. I think the challenge is there. It's very rewarding. I think the, when you see, um, you know, the ability to, to, that a business can continue to go forward uh, and, you know, conduct its business, it's, um, you know, when you realize what, what's going against it, uh, that's very rewarding. So, um, there's a yeah, yeah there's a couple things I think if you're first of all I think you have to have some background experience with technology right yeah. I mean this is a technical business mm-hmm. so you have to have something so you know either you go to school for that or you've been a network administrator or you're a system administrator or something right you have to have some knowledge of technology and then I find a lot of really good security people also are you know come out of the audit sector because they have a really strong knowledge of controls it controls general controls and and so on you know so the technology the 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 knowledge of controls and sometimes you just some of the best people in this business are people who just you know they you have to have your what we call the your guys on hands on keyboards People who just love they're they're inquisitive and they're just going to look and search for stuff, right? Yeah. And they they make your best investigators and and they're you know there's to me so there's a bunch of different skill sets, um, but clearly you have to have a passion for security. Yeah. When you get that passion, you'll be good at one of those aspects of the job. It takes different skill sets to do all those things. So, yeah, Your auditor, your, your compliance person is not going to have the same skill set as your network security engineer mm-hmm. versus your application security engineer versus exactly. your forensics analyst. But they all have some stuff in common, right? They, they're going to be inquisitive. They're, they're going to understand what it, whatever it is that they're analyzing. They have to know the, the ins and outs of that, the technical details of that. And yep. you know, curious and want to learn, I think, is probably you know, top of the list there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, closing up here, any, any final comments, anything else you want to shout out to the Denver community, the Colorado community? Oh, I think we just stay with it. <laughs> Get involved, um, participate and share. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Hey. You're welcome. All right. Have a good one. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.